Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Angela. I am the associate pastor here at Cascade Covenant Church. And now that we have Julia on staff serving with students, I get to do a few more associate pastory things like preach today. So I'm really excited to be up here. And um, I'm excited for this series too, because who doesn't love a good story? Do you guys like good stories? We all like stories. Stories are awesome. I was thinking about that this week, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something. I'm going to pray. Let's pray before I dive into this message. Can we do that together? Lord, we thank you for this time together. I pray that you would be with me and help me share this message, that these would be your words, not my words, that it would be your will, not our will, that we hear today. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So stories. I love stories. Do you guys, I grew up in a big Italian family, and we... It was, I mean, okay, if there's students in here, you need to know this was before there was anything streaming or even cable. It was not a thing. So we did tell stories around the, the dinner table, and it was always fun to hear what everybody had to say. And some of the stories, you know, because it was a big extended family, so you'd hear grandma and grandpa had their usual stories that they would share, and uncles and cousins would, would pipe in, and some of the stories were familiar, and some of the stories were new, and those are the ones we all stuck around for. When you were a kid, you just wanted to hear something new, and they were always good. The good ones would start with, I remember the time your dad did this, and he got in so much trouble. Boy, we'd all perk up our ears. We'd want to hear about what naughty things uh, dad did. Or, um, I can't remember when your grandma did this, and she just thought it was so great. So those were all stories that we liked. Um, and. So because we're talking about stories in this series, I, I wanted to share with you a couple stories. I had an Uncle Mario, you guys. He was my godfather. He uh, was a World War II vet. He served in um, that big battle in the Belgian forest um, during World War II. And he never talked much about it, didn't know much about him at all. And, uh, or about his experience in the war, but I know that it impacted his life greatly. Now, Uncle Mario died when I was 10, um, but I still remember him vividly because he was a character. He was just larger than life, but as I was thinking about it, my um, perception of him is kind of mixed in with all of the family lore and stories that we've heard. And I was thinking about this one time when, see, stories always, good stories start like that. This one time when. So I was an adult watching Seinfeld with my dad, and there was an episode where Kramer kicked the bus driver off the bus. I don't know if you, this rings a bell at all with anybody, but that's the Seinfeld episode isn't important. What's important is my dad started cracking up so hard, and like, my dad was a nice guy. He didn't often laugh that hard where he was falling off his seat, like choking, I'm like, what's going on? He goes, that was just like Mario. I'm like, what? So a new story I was going to hear about Uncle Mario. Sometime in uh, the late 40s, early 50s, uh, he was commuting from after work from, I think it was in Cleveland, to wherever he lived, and he had the last stop on the bus route. He was on the bus. And the bus driver was really cranky, apparently, and um, was particularly unkind to someone who wanted to get off early, uh, had gotten on the wrong bus, and the bus driver wouldn't stop. And my Uncle Mario was not going to have that. And my Uncle Mario forcibly removed that bus driver 
from the bus and continued the bus route. <laughs> and Uncle Mario, uh, his, his, bus, his bus stop was the last one on the route, as along with many others on the bus. And when he arrived at that final bus stop, there were um, policemen waiting with him, as well as the, the bus driver, um, and they were going to arrest him. Except all the people on the bus that had been on this wild journey with my Uncle Mario came to his defense and told the police, no, you, if you're gonna arrest anybody, you need to arrest that bus driver. He's a piece of work, but this guy, he's our hero. And um, so, yeah, everybody, like I said, he was a character, and I don't know if he had to sweet talk, whatever, but he took, completely got out of that whole situation and went home that night and had supper with his family. So the point of this, for me, was that it gave me a new perspective an understanding of my Uncle Mario. He is now a legend when I heard that he did that. But it also gave me insight to my dad. It was really cool to see my dad reminisce about his older brother. And so here's the thing you don't know, or maybe you don't know, my dad was a police officer, and so he would never, ever break the law. So for me to see him cracking up over somebody who obviously broke the law and got away with it was really um, an interesting thing. So I learned something about my dad, and I learned something about my Uncle Mario. Um, and, you know, I have so many cousins that uh, are on the other side of the country that I don't get to see that often, like maybe a dozen, half a dozen times in my life. But we're all in the same family, so we all share the same stories. And that's what's really cool. And that's the thing about stories. Our family stories connect us. They give us a shared history that's unique to our family, and they become part of us. And um, I think that's one of the reasons I really like hearing stories. At this church, we have a history of sharing God stories. Um, students share God stories at confirmation, and this is a long-standing tradition. And um, as a church family, when we hear students share what God is doing in their lives, it's so encouraging and inspiring to each of us. And we started a new tradition two years ago on Labor Day. Uh, well, not on Labor Day, but on that Sunday of Labor Day weekend. And um, we have invited people to come and share uh, their God story. So the first time it was Danny Kolke and Shannon Smith and Bonnie Joe who shared their God stories. And... Um, and then last year, or this past Labor Day weekend, it was Julia and George England and um, Allison Wilson that shared their stories. And it's so awesome to hear what God is doing in people's lives. And I thank you so much for sharing your stories, um, sharing them with me. I think as a pastor, I get to hear the stories more often than uh, most people do. But I'm just so appreciative that you give us access in such a public way to share what God is doing in your life. But I want you to know that this is part of our shared history as a church. And this is part of our culture when you share stories because it unites us because it's what the Spirit is doing in our lives, both collectively as a group, but individually as people. And it's really awesome to hear your stories. But it starts with us hearing from God and, um, and practicing that. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And I also wanna say, I use the word family a lot for church family, and I recognize that family is a word that has a lot of baggage for some people, or it can. So what I mean by a church family is that we're a community of believers who follow Jesus we encourage and care for each other. We pray for each other. We help each other. We share our faith together. 
we serve together, we serve God together, and we also serve our community together. We um, share God's love with each other, with this town, and with this world, and the things that we do. And that's what I mean by a church family. Um, over the summer, my friend Lynn shared a devotion um, at one of these groups that I was at, and it was so beautiful. It was written by Henry Nowen, and the title of it is Windows to God's Love, or We Are Windows to God's Love, and it really resonated with me um, as I think about stories, and I want to share a quote from that. He says, in true community, we are windows constantly offering each other new views on the mystery of God's presence in our lives. Our God stories, when we share that, we're giving people access to what he's doing in our life. That means we're a window constantly offering people new perspectives, like I got on my Uncle Mario or that I got on my dad. And it really helps us grow together and grow in faith. So I just want to encourage us in that way. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus' stories, you guys. As Dan said, these parables is what our series is about. And through the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of the well-known ones, but also some of the ones that aren't so well-known. I got an easy one today because I got one of the ones that has an explanation. I'm really excited about that because they don't. And Dan said that they are short, simple stories, I think you said. Um, but except are they? Because sometimes they're hard to understand. Has anybody else besides me been confused by a parable? I have. I'm going to talk about Jesus' example about that, answer about that in just a minute. But I wanted to say that Jesus' parables, the stories that Jesus told, the intent there is that they're meant to stir something within us. They're meant to teach us about God's kingdom, you know, God's kingdom on earth and God's kingdom in heaven. But also, they're meant to challenge us and invite us to think think newly or reconsider established views that we may hold. They're also meant to prompt a response from us. So it's, it involves kind of hearing what God is saying to us broadly, but also to us individually, how he's speaking into our lives, and then also um, what he might be inviting us to do with that. So they're not all short and simple, like I said, because Jesus had to explain them. Also, not all of us are farmers or gardeners. I'm sorry, sorry, my friends who grew up on farms, but I did not grow up on a farm. I got my meat at the grocery store, like we're meant to. <laughs> Whoops, there it goes, sorry. Um, and then um, also, we don't live in 33 AD in, that, in the other part of the world. So it's hard to really sometimes understand all of the illustrations. And so the parable that I'm going to speak on today is the parable of the sower. But before we get to that, there's this passage in the middle, like six verses, where Jesus answers the question, why are you teaching in parables? So this first verse I'm going to share with you is from Matthew in the New International Version. And Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. Am I the only one who says, huh? It kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, I teach in parables to confuse people. If we don't do a careful reading of that passage, that's what we could walk away with. The opposite is true. He is meant to make his explanations about the kingdom easy. But in this passage, Jesus is referencing something that the prophet Isaiah was telling his people. Um, he was telling them that they're there was a danger to them if they continued to pull back from God, if they stopped listening to God. He was saying that 
their continued rebellion was isolating them from God's presence and that he and he was warning them that if you're not careful you are going to have your hearts hardened completely against God that's what Isaiah was warning and this is what Jesus is saying in this in this passage but I think it's a little bit easier to understand in the message version so I'm going to um, read some of his answer to why parables here it says that's why I tell stories to create readiness to nudge the people toward a welcome awakening. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. What Jesus is saying is we can miss what God is telling to us, telling us, speaking into our personal lives specifically. And sometimes we need a nudge, and he is there to nudge us in a way that we will hear what he is saying to us. Don't you guys want to hear what God is saying to you? How often do you think we miss that? I tell my granddaughter to put her shoes away a dozen times in 10 minutes. They still don't move. The shoes are still there. You guys know. We, can, we get distracted and we don't always hear. I want to hear what God is saying to me. The next part of Jesus' answer to why parables is, um, goes like this. I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are stupid. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. It kind of reminds me of a toddler going, I'm not listening. Um, but then he goes on to say, that so they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. And that really stood out to me this week because I've been in the space where I don't want to deal with God face to face about something and I didn't want to be healed because it was too painful and that was when my brother died. I, wanna, I talk about my brother's death all the time so it may sound like I'm not really over it but I can actually look at his pictures now without crying and I wanna share a picture of my brother with you. This is Matt. And he was five years older than me, and he died in 2008. And he was a really awesome brother, you guys. Um, not perfect, as I like to tell his, his children, because, you know, he became, can become an idol. And so I have to, I get, the, I get the joy of telling him all the naughty, bad things my brother did, because they need to know he was human, right? I'm not disparaging his memory, I promise. But I didn't want to go to God, because it just hurts so, so much. And... Um, when I was going through all of my grief, um, I, I came across a book, and I think I, think I misspoke. Wait, I missed it. Nope, okay, I'll say that in a second. Anyhow, it was just so hard to go through all of that grief and not want to go to God with it, and I felt so isolated and alone. So it's encouraging me to, to me to know that these parables are meant to nudge us so we can hear God speak into our lives. So we can look at him face to face. So he can heal us when we're ready. And they, and they challenge us and they prompt a response from us. And I think that's really important because I think we can miss it. Um, so I really want to encourage all of you to try this month or while we're doing the series. Check out the parable experience because I think it's really um, meant to be something that you can take home with you and still consider as you go about your week. Okay, are we ready for the parable of the sower, you guys? Okay, let's read it. Um, this is also found in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. 
Um, but um, we're reading it today from Matthew 13. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because, of the, soil, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So there's three characters. There's the sower, who we're not going to focus on today. And there's not much specified about him other than he is the farmer. Um, the seed, which Jesus goes on to say in verse 19, is the message about the kingdom of God. Um, and then the soil. That's the other character. And the soil are those who hear the message. And that's you and me. We are the soil. And um, this parable is really all about how we receive what God is telling us and, um, and how we respond to him. So, like I said, Jesus explains it, so I got off easy. Uh, along the path soil. Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. It's, it's important we don't get too comfortable in our, um, in our spaces being saved, if that's what we think about. Because Jesus shares this right after he shares that passage from Isaiah, warning people not to let their hearts get hardened. And I think um, that's what this um, soil is about. And let's move on to the rocky ground soil. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So there's two things that stand out to me. They last only a short time, so the, the soil is shallow and the roots don't grow. I think there is a prosperity and an abundancy in this part of the world. And I know that there's even people that are really in need in this part of the world, so I'm using this in a, in a broad context. But there's a prosperity in this part of the world. We have lots of options. We can try lots of things, and we could put lots of things back, store them, stash them. We have room to store things. We can get new things. I still don't understand why. I mean, I understand why the company does it because they make a lot of money, but why is there a new iPhone every year? I admittedly break my phones quite often, so I do need phones regularly, but I know there are people that just love their tech stuff, so I'm not putting anybody down, but we have so many options that we buy something, we try it, and we turn it away. And I'm going to talk to you about dish soap today because I like fragrant dish soap. If I'm going to have to do dishes, I want something that's going to smell good and make my hands feel good. But I had to clean out my cupboard this week and I realized I had quite a few spares under the counter. I'm not real proud of that. But the thing is, there are 16 brands of dish soap available at Target. 16 brands. And they all have multiple versions. So I didn't count them all. Um, and this is a lowball figure, but if Every brand had two different uh, versions. There were, would be 32 options of dish soap to choose from, and I don't even have to go to the store. That was just all on the app. 
Isn't that crazy that we can, we can go and decide, I want dish soap, but I need to be, I can pick from 32 kinds. We, of course, we're going to try different ones. I mean, the ones that were the spares, there was a bottle that, I mean, we, it was an emergency. Tom, go get dish soap. And he came home and, I don't know, I tried it. It was, I didn't like the smell. I didn't like the shape of the bottle. I don't know, something about it I didn't like. But I kept it as a spare because you know you don't want to be without it when you need it, right? But then there was another scented one, and Mrs. Myers has really wonderful scents, but of course you're not going to use a pumpkin spice dish soap after Christmas, right? So, you know, there's a little bit of that. or There's all these different scents. They have snow drop is one of my favorites, by the way. But so I collect dish soap, I think, like I used to collect lipstick. But um, I know that we just can do that. We can try something. If we don't like it, we can just put it back. That's our culture. And when we take that and add to the fact that it's a very consumer-driven culture that we live in, I think we are particularly vulnerable to being rocky soil. There's a shallowness to all of that consumerism. And I'm not I'm, I'm calling myself out, and it, maybe this resonates with you too, but um, I think it's important that we pay attention to that. And Jesus also says when he's explaining this uh, parable, he, or this uh, soil, he talks about uh, those that quickly fall away when times of trouble come. And I think we've seen that. I mean, prior to COVID, there were statistics about, um, uh, from our, the covenant denomination, um, Steve Berger, uh, led children's ministry, and he was so awesome, but he did this whole study about how every generation loses more and more Christians, um, and this has been going on for a really long time. Um, people walk away from faith all the time. You guys are here today. You guys are awesome. You should feel good about that. Give yourselves a pat on the back. I mean, it's good that you're here today, but it's also worth noting that being here today doesn't mean that you're not going to fall away, and I think that's what Jesus is warning us against. So I started to tell you a few minutes ago, um, I, when I was in that space of grief, I had read a book called The Land Between, written by Jeff Mannion. And he parallels the Israelites' desert and wilderness wanderings, like from the time they left Canaan, or excuse me, from the time they left Egypt to the time until they got to Canaan. And he just talks about what that, he parallels that with the hardships that we have to endure in life. And there's a quote that I misquote all the time, so I actually got the real quote. And in it he says, the wilderness where faith can thrive is the very desert where it can up and die if we are not watchful. If our faith remains shallow, if we don't mature in our faith and grow roots, we're going to have a hard time standing firm, and it will be easy for us to slip away. I think Jesus is warning us against that. Okay, the next soil is among the thorns, the seed Falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches or wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And I've always sort of read worries of this life um, and really taken that to heart. One, because, you know, I can worry about things, but also I get distracted all the time. There's so many places to go, people to see, things to do, work, fun things with friends and family, self-care, lawn care, chores, to-do lists, projects, tasks, hobbies, Netflix, soap to buy, books to read, lists to make and then ignore, all kinds of things to do. But really what Matthew or what Jesus is talking about in in this with this soil is he's talking about temptations. The temptations that that can get in the way from us growing in faith, 
hearing from God and, and moving forward. And the thing about temptations is they can all start from a good place, can't they? Right? Um, uh, for instance, self-care is super important, right? You're, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, but part of that is loving yourself, right? You know, you, we all have heard the analogy of putting the oxygen mask on yourself when you're going through hard times. It's important to care for yourself, and God cares for you too. But if, so that's the good place, but if we're not careful, and if that's our particular temptation, then we can fall into a space where we become self-centered or selfish, and that gets in the way of God's work in us and in, our faith, in, in, our, in the maturity of our faith. Another example is just money, right? It is so important to save money. It is wise to save money. It is really important that we are good stewards over what God has given us. And that is very true. And it can also get in the way of our generosity. It can also get in the way of us um, giving to God's kingdom. And it's very easy. Like, it's important to save. That's a good thing. But when we're worried more about saving and um, we decide to be less generous, that's where we may have a problem. And I'm not saying anybody has that. I'm just saying that we need to pay attention to our own particular vulnerabilities when it comes to temptations and weaknesses and consider if there is something that we are clenching onto tightly that we need to let go of that is holding us back. I think that's what it means to be the soil among the thorns. Now the good soil. Don't we all want to camp out in a good soil space? But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Here's the word and understands it. The disciples didn't always understand it. So we shouldn't have the expectation that we're always going to understand it. And like the disciples, when we don't understand something, we can ask Jesus. We can ask God for clarity. We have to listen for him, though, too. And like the disciples, we can follow Jesus even when we don't understand. And I say that because you cannot tell me that all 12 disciples thought the fish and loaves was gonna work. As it was happening, I'm sure they were like, oh, I'm gonna work, all right, we're just gonna do what Jesus said. I'm sure some of them were surprised by that. Um, also, like the disciples, we can totally get it wrong. And we will get it wrong. But the disciples, when they got it wrong, they turn to Jesus time and again, and so should we. And also, I just want to say, if we think we have it all figured out when it comes to the things of God and things of faith, um, you guys, the disciples thought they knew exactly what to do when it came to children wanting to get to Jesus. Remember what they said? If they did, they tried to block the little kids from getting to Jesus. In our culture, that's hard to imagine, but in that culture, that was the way. And you know what? Jesus rebuked them. He said, uh-uh, uh-uh, do, do not hinder the children. Let them come to me. So what are the things that we think that we have figured out? Because maybe, maybe we could be wrong. And I want to be clear, when it says produces a crop, uh, the crop isn't something we produce. That's something God does in us. That's something that God does. We're just the soil. And a good crop is the result of us 
being the good soil. It depends. It's dependent on how we receive what God is telling us, what God is speaking into our lives, and then it depends on how we respond to him. So my question to you is, what's your soil like? I think we go in and out in between different soils at different points in our life. But I just want to encourage you this week to be open to noticing what God might be saying to you. Don't miss it if God is nudging you. Is he nudging you in one way or another? If you're feeling like maybe you're rocky soil, take time this week to think about that and pray about it. Ask God, what's holding you back from going deeper in your faith and growing roots? And when you figure out what that is, and this may take a day, a week, a couple weeks, when you figure out what that is, then ask God, what's one thing more you can do to grow deeper in him? If you're thinking that you're thorny soil or soil among the thorns, is there something holding you back that you're holding on to really tightly? Maybe there isn't, but maybe there is. Is God nudging you in some way? And what is one thing you can do to loosen your grip on that thing? doesn't mean you have to go from zero to 100 on anything. Just what's one step, small step that you can take to move in that direction? And if you're feeling like you are good soil, you just might be. But maybe it's time to pause and think, have you missed something? Are you so sure and confident in what you know that maybe you have a blind spot somewhere? Maybe you don't. But ask God if he's nudging you in some direction. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a gentle God who waits for us to be ready to hear what you have to share, who gently nudges us to awaken to your will so you can heal us. Help us take this parable into our week, into our lives this week, at school and to work, at home, and pay attention and notice where you might be nudging us. And then help us know what to do with it. We thank you, Lord, that you are a personal God who loves us, who created us, who knows us, and who you have made yourself known to. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team back up.